Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. All right, well, good morning. Nice to see you all today. I see everybody slowly but surely coming back, and I'm glad that you all are here. It's nice to have a full church on a Sunday morning, and I want to welcome everybody that's watching online. So a lot of things are happening. We're going to dive right into it because I have a lot of things to share with you. Probably one of the biggest questions in most of our minds is what time is it? What time are we living in? Where are we going? What's happening? A lot of people are discouraged, frustrated. Some people are extra fired up more than they've ever been, which is the way I want you to be. Uh, But there are a lot of questions going on right now. And so it's important that we understand the times and the seasons that we live in. Let's say this together. Say, we're in a time between times. We're in a time between times. Christian leaders should stand out from other leaders in society. Christian leaders should have insight and understanding, and as shepherds, direct God's people into God's design and plan for the times and seasons we live in. There should be something different about God's people than the world. We should have insight, wisdom, and understanding in a way that the world does not have. If you're living in confusion, fear, worry, doubt, chaos, None of those are fruits of the Spirit. None of those are the ways that God has designed his people to live. We're heads, not tails. We're the culture, not the subculture. We're the standard, not a substandard. God's people should have a strong insight into the times and seasons that we live in. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to be disheartened, discouraged, frustrated, Doubting, walking in disbelief, depressed. All the things that knocks on our doors, and I already know that that knocks on so many of our doors, which is why I'm talking about it today. So I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to remind you of who you are, who we are, and to help you understand the time that we're living in. What time is it? That's the question. We need God-given wisdom in multiple areas of influence. I just picked four, biblically, personally, organizationally, culturally, which also means politically. We need to have wisdom in every area of influence. That includes your own personal life, your family, your community. It includes this church. It includes our city. It includes the culture that we live in. And we have to have an understanding of what the Bible says about the times that we live in. Having a proper understanding of where we are in history directly affects and impacts the ethical decisions we make in those four areas of influence. If you don't have understanding, it will be difficult to make ethical decisions. It's the scripture without divine revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. So if you have a skewed view of the world around you and our role in it, then you'll cast off restraint and you'll find yourself disheartened, frustrated, living day to day, 
paycheck to paycheck, work to work, thing to thing, stuff to stuff, drug to drug, drink to drink, girl to girl, relationship, you will never be satisfied. And you won't be able to make ethical decisions for your own life or for those that are around you. I want you to make good decisions because I care about you. God cares about you. He loves you more than you know. He loves me more than I love myself. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the thoughts you are going to say before you even say them. And yet the creator of the universe still wants to come into relationship with you, co-labor with you, and have you join in together in the divine romance yes. to advance his agenda yes. on earth. It's yes. awesome. Yes, it is. Yeah. And yet we're discouraged, we're frustrated, we're downcast, we're beat down, we're depressed, we're anxious because our eyes are on the wrong things. So we have to live in a, within a biblical framework in every decision that we make. Listen to me. Every decision you make has to be decided within the context of a biblical framework and being spirit-led. I'll just put one at the top, your job. Where you go, where you work, how much time you sacrifice for money, everything's a sacrifice and everything costs you something. And time is flying by, and the days are flying by, and our children are growing up, and generations are coming up behind us, and they need guidance and direction and wisdom and insight and mothers and fathers and love and power and the supernatural and the presence of God and family and community and unity. They need to be taught these things now. There's not a ton of time left. Now, I plan my life as if Jesus is going to come back and... Many generations. It could be three, four, five generations, but I live my life as if he's coming back tonight. You have to. Your money, your family, your time, your community and your friendships or your church, all of those things have to be lived within a biblical framework and in every decision you make. This is why I say that you don't get to pick your church. This is more than joining a church. This is joining together with leadership government leadership on earth, family, community, a tribe, and an army on a mission to advance an agenda in the span of a time between times. I'm going to explain that to you. We're in a time between times. So what time is it? Before I answer that question, I want to first focus on the fact that God wants and even expects us to know the times and seasons we live in and not to be unaware And Christian leaders should do a great job pointing God's people because we're shepherds. Now, I want to state that I may be the senior shepherd here in this church. Really, Jesus is, then me, then those that are pastors and leaders underneath me. But every single person in this room is called to be a shepherd. You're going to have to shepherd your own home. You're going to have to shepherd your own heart. You're going to have to shepherd your own family. You're going to have to shepherd your finance. You have to oversee all the things that God entrusts you with. But we must be pointing people towards the promised land. Green pastures, still waters. People that are anointed, that have overflowing cups, tables prepared before their enemies, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I'll lack nothing. Where does he lead me? Turmoil and chaos or green pastures and still waters? You will never have victory living in turmoil and chaos. God calls you to live in a place. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. You're not of this world. 
You're aliens and pilgrims and sojourners. You're traveling through to another place. You're in a time between times. The shepherd's leading us to a place where we're always at his, where he's always at our right hand. We should be leading people to always have the Lord at their right hand, Psalm 16, so that they won't be shaken. There's a lot of people being shaken in this place. The kingdom of God in many ways is being shaken. The world is definitely being shaken. But the shaking is by design because anything that can be shaken, anything that's crooked, God will make straight. So there's a whole lot of shaking going on, right? Why? Because if there's anything in you that's not of him, he wants it out. If there's anything in our nation that's not of him, he wants it out. Whew, man, I feel the Lord on that. To understand the benefits of knowing God and to walking in those benefits, Psalm 103. God's EOB is Psalm 103. If you forget the benefits of the Lord, go and read them and meditate them. Meditate on them, Psalm 103. Those benefits include beholding one thing, living one way, which is his way, remaining steadfast and never quitting or giving up, living courageous, bold, confident, and not being dismayed, Joshua 1.8, to not turn to the right or the left, to have rank and file order so that we can have unity. We have to get into rank and file if we're going to work together as a team, a body, a family, a community, a tribe, and an army. We cannot do this alone. To fighting right with mighty weapons in God that aren't carnal, understanding that we don't live by the sword. If we live by the sword, we die by the sword. We're a different kind of army. We're an army with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the power of his might on our side. He's not forsaken us. He's not abandoned us. We're his tribe, his family, and he has a purpose for us in the midst of what's going on in the world around us. We have to remain watchful and understand that we're living in a time between times, an age in between, and an age that will come to pass. And to help us all make it to the end when the day of the Lord will happen. He who remains faithful to the end. He who overcomes to the end. It's a daily faithfulness and a daily overcoming, and it's a daily fight that we all fight together. I'm not immune to it. I, those same attacks that knock on your door, I don't care what they are, they knock on my door. Yeah. Familiar spirits from my past. I just recognize them better now. Right. Well, I, yeah. I know that voice. Yeah. I don't belong to you anymore. But it's not an over, it wasn't an overnight thing. For a long time, I knew that voice, and I said, here I am, take me away. <laughs> but over the course of time and diligence and persistence and never giving up and understanding what, where we're going, who he is, and who we are keeps me on the path to never give up, even if I divert temporarily. God always raises up people that understand the times and the seasons and what to do. For example, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, we have the sons of Issachar. Now, the 1 Chronicles chapter 12 is a pretty epic chapter. If I could 
pull out a chapter to identify so much of what I want for Rock City Church in my own life, it'd be that chapter. Mighty men from all over the nation and even other tribes coming to join together with David. Skilled men of war that knew how to fight and they had all, all different types of military might and abilities and intelligence to help David fulfill the destiny. But ultimately it was bigger than David, which we all know it was about Jesus, the Messiah and the promise of a savior. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says of the sons of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. From a political standpoint, the sons of Issachar knew that the future was with a new king, King David. A young shepherd boy identified even by the former king's political advisor as a warrior at 16 years old, battle-ready, skilled musician, and anointed by God, and he'd never actually fought in a military campaign. See, God prepares you in the private. God prepares you through your struggle right now. Every single person here, whatever it is you're battling, fear, worry, addiction, marriage problems, struggles, challenges, depression, anxiety, every single one of you, your problems today or your ministry tomorrow and what you overcome right now is gonna prepare you for the bigger battle that's at hand. Hence, I keep telling you, don't give up, don't shrink back, keep showing up, keep lifting up your hands, keep worshiping no matter what you're facing. I challenge you every time to read your Bible, know who you are and understand the power of the cross because I've been where you're at. Maybe not exactly, but very similar. There's not a struggle in this room that's uncommon to man. It's unique to you because it's you and you're unique and your struggle's unique. And most of the time you feel like you're alone and no one understands and nobody cares. All deceptive lies of the enemy. Your life doesn't matter. No one would miss you if you were gone. What's the point? You get back at everybody else by disconnecting and isolating. Those are the lies of the enemy. You not only hurt you, but you hurt me and you hurt everybody in this room and the kingdom of God all over the world. The sons of Iskar understood politically God had chosen a new king. But you see, David had yet to be anointed king of Israel. Or I'm sorry, he had been anointed king of Israel but he had not ascended to the throne yet. So he had a promise, he had an anointing, but he had not ascended yet to the throne and Saul had not died yet. They knew the heart of God and in turn, they said that they cast their lot with David rather than with Saul. They knew who God had chosen and they took a stand. Again, it was a time within a time. They knew who the rightful king was and that he had been anointed, but he had not visibly been enthroned. From a military standpoint, they came to him armed for war, but with a different kind of military might. They had military intelligence. First Chronicles 12, 22, at that, for at that time they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. And their weapon was military intelligence. What was their intelligence? They understood the times and what they were supposed to do. 
See, God is building an army today, and in his army, there are a lot of different tribes and skilled warriors. But when I talk about a time between a time, we have a king anointed by God who has risen from the dead and is alive and well today, and yet his reign is visible to us, but not visible to the public at large to see, because he's coming back. When you understand the times, you know what to do. You obtain wisdom, understanding from God, and you get your marching orders and your battle strategy. We're in a t- we are in a time where Jesus is coming back. I've been talking about the day of the Lord a lot. And like I said, we don't know exactly when, but we know that Jesus repeatedly said, be watchful. We know that the apostles repeatedly said, be sober-minded and be watchful and be ready. And that doesn't mean I'm just hanging on and hiding out. We have a job to do. I'm not bunkered down, hunkered down, isolated, focused on end time prepping, overly stocking up on everything so that when the time comes, I can hide out and retreat. We run to the battle, not from the battle. And if I don't get you ready, whatever's coming down the line, you're going to shrink back and hide out. And I'm going to go, where is everybody? Not this church and not you. You have to see it. They, they knew King David <clears throat> had been anointed, but he had not yet officially taken the throne. But they pledged their allegiance to the king. We pledge our allegiance to the king. He's called the king of kings. So any ruler, any government ruler, any president, doesn't matter who they are, <clears throat> there's one that's greater, bigger, and mightier that's over them all. He's called the king of kings. So now I pledge my allegiance to the king, and I understand that this king is visible to you and me when we're born again, but he's not yet visible to the public. The world at large does not see what you and I see. So you have to not let yourself get so frustrated with the world because the world doesn't know what we know. One day they will, though. And as I preached last week, there has to be an urgency in our hearts to reveal that to them. It's the only reason why Jesus is not coming back, but we can actually speed up his return by preaching the gospel, saving the hearts of men and women everywhere that we encounter them and stop living for ourselves. We plot our timeline in the course of history, learning from the past and building on what's already been built and not laying again a new foundation other than Christ. So we're always laying on foundations, but the foundation we build with is not with wood, hay, and stubble. It's with gold, refined gold and refined silver that we're purchasing from heaven. And we're building on top of a foundation of Christ, the apostles, the prophets, and all the forefathers that went before us. We learn from the past and we build towards the future. So we study, we have insight, we have wisdom, and we realize that we must keep our eyes on the prize so that we don't get disqualified. You can't get disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified, and it produces a fear of God inside my heart. To understand we're running a race, we're running a marathon. You got to be in it for the long haul, no matter what's coming down the line. Post-election, I think I broke it down. I'm going to vote in 10 more elections. 10 more. And I'm getting more refined in my understanding of our role as a church locally and how the battles won on a local level with city council members and mayors and county judges and 
I, I can't really overly affect Washington, D.C., but I can affect Corpus Christi. So can you. We have our roadmap. We have our instruction manual. We have our internal GPS compass, and we have a worldwide army to advance with. Let us never forget, there's people just like you all over the world. There's millions of on-fire believers in love with Jesus all over the world and even in our own city. I rejoice with what's happening in the other churches and I stay in my lane. I'm not trying to be New Life or Corpus Christi Christian Fellowship or any other church. Thank God. Let revival happen there. It doesn't matter to me. Let revival happen anywhere. Let the people of God be born again and on fire. Find the one that speaks your language. Find your tribe. I will be bold and confident with my voice, and you guys can follow who God tells you to follow. And if it's me, let's roll. If it's somebody else, roll with them. We don't have time to be church hoppers. We don't have time to be uh, inconsistent or uncommittal. We're going to build a school. We're going to train and equip. We're going to fight for generations. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to demonstrate it with power and might and signs and wonders and miracles. We're going to be healthy. We're going to be balanced and we're going to be normal, but we're going to be extreme with the power of God because that's normal. We don't mince our words. We don't apologize. We're unapologetically on fire. We have a general, a king, a prince, a lion, a lamb, a son, a father, and a spirit to guide us. Jesus is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 25. We need wisdom. So one of the things that the sons of Issachar had was wisdom. But there's two different kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom of this world, and there's wisdom not of this world. You should do everything in you to obtain wisdom not of this world. It's more precious than rubies, silver, fine gold, all the money in the world, all the job you could ever have, all the intellect and knowledge you could ever have. There is a wisdom from heaven that surpasses everything else and is more precious than any monetary gain you could ever have. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, to preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it's the mighty power of God released within us. It's the message of the cross. And it's not just Jesus died for your sins. Yes, that's true, but there's so much more than that. There's the understanding of condemnation from sin in the Old Testament of law and sin and death and how God sets you free from that. There's the power of the blood. There's the power of sacrifice. There's the power of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following after a king. The message of the cross is the best good news in a world of really, 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 really bad news. Compare your whole life to the life of Christ and you'll snap out of all your hurts and pains, fears, worries, dysfunction. You compare what you're going through to what he went through and when you really see the cross and see Christ in the way that he loved perfectly, it'll snap you out of this depression and funk that you're in. That's the only way you can live. You cannot compare your life to the world. And you have to understand to the world, it's sheer nonsense. Get it in your brain now. They're going to call you a fool. They're going to tell you you're foolish. And they're going to see you as intolerant. They're going to try to shut you down. They're going to censor you. So I'm just ride it out till I get censored. It doesn't surprise. And when it comes, I'm not like, oh my God, that liberal platform censored me. 
No, I'm going to use it for all it's got. And then when the censorship comes, I'm going to go, God will have something else. Because I can assure you, if this gets a lot of things I say, like I said last week about gay marriage, homosexual lifestyles, and I love people that are gay. I care about them deeply, and I want to show them the love of God, and they are welcome here in this house. I want to reiterate that. We'll just have to agree to disagree until God does what God does best because it's not okay. According to, it's not me making that up. That's what God's word says. And I'll say it in love and I'll smile and we're gonna hug them. And if transgenders walk in here, you better love them, you better hug them, you better look them in the eyes and you better show them the power of Christ head on. You hear me? Because where are they gonna go? Let me ask you a question, where are they gonna go? I can't sit here and expect them to go to the church down the street and I'm not saying they can't go there, but it would be amiss of you to say, go somewhere else, not in my house. But just saying that could get me censored. Oh, well, you can't censor Jesus. Do you understand? You cannot censor Jesus. It's silly and idiotic to even think that way. Verse 19, for it is written, I will dismantle. Now, remember, I showed you last week, all things are being dismantled. Don't you understand? You don't break God's laws, they break you. So what are you all freaked out about? Joe Biden can't break God's laws. President Trump could not break God's laws. Nobody gets to break God's laws. Pride goes before destruction, living an inconsistent health. Not even you get to break God's laws, even though you know him. We just get lots of grace and mercy and kindness along the way. And if we don't repent, we get more broken. But if we repent, we get more healed. Yes, yes. Do you see it? Yes. I'm going to dismantle the wisdom of the wise, and I will invalidate the intelligence of the scholars. Ta-da. Verse 20, so where is the wise philosopher who understands? Where is the, these are rhetorical questions, by the way. Where's the wise philosopher who understands? Where's the expert scholar who comprehends? And where's the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with? The answer is there is none. No one. Hasn't God demonstrated that the wisdom of this world system is utter foolishness? If you don't educate your children, the world will be educating your children. And I don't need a public school system to educate my children. And I'm not telling everybody here they should homeschool. If your kids are going to be in the public school system, equip them, train them, parent them, teach them, breathe fire and life and wonder and wisdom and, and just have them so ready so that when they go into that school system, they can be the contrast. And even at a young age, look, if Josiah could be anointed king at eight and be one of the greatest kings to ever live, your eight-year-old can make a difference in the public school. Just know what you're dealing with. It's liberal. There's godlessness. There's influence. I mean, you just got to be prepared and be wise and have the wisdom of Jesus and do what Jesus tells you to do and not what's convenient for you. Because if, if the Lord wants you to homeschool your kids, homeschool them. 
It's not about you or your time. They're going to grow up and be gone, and you'll get more time later, especially everybody that's in their 20s and 30s. I'm not telling you to do one thing or the other. I'm telling you to be spirit-led in whatever choice and decision that you make. And that comes with so many things, like vaccinations. I get a bunch of people saying, should I get the vaccine or not? Well, first off, I'm not going to tell you to get the vaccine or not. You got to be convicted by the Lord and follow your own personal conviction. If I stood up here and was ranting and raving about how terrible vaccines are, I'd push tons of people away. And if I went on the other side and said, man, vaccines are so awesome, everybody should get vaccinated, I'd push another ton of people away. It's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, and some people will disagree with me with that, and I'm sorry. Go with your personal conviction and be spirit-led. If you want to know what my choice and decision is, ask me personally. I'll tell you. I'm not hiding anything. I get all these texts. What do, you, what do you think? Should I? Shouldn't I? I'll pretty much tell you what my answer is going to be. What's the Lord telling you? Seriously. And again, I learned a long time ago I can't please everybody, so it is what it is. Because my mama taught me this. Hey, it's Andy Minio. I just had to say that. It's such a good album, by the way. Verse 21, for in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. God wants you to discover him. He wants to be discovered. Let's say that. God wants to be discovered. Guess, who is, you, guess where you are not going to discover him? It says it right here. The world's wisdom is insufficient to lead people to discover himself. He took great delight in actually baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity of preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believe it. For the Jews constantly demand to see miraculous signs while those who are not Jews constantly cling to the world's wisdom. But we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But for those who have been chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greeks, that's all people, he is God's mighty power, God's true wisdom, and our Messiah. So Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the power of God, and he's the Messiah. The foolish things of God, which is us, have proven to be wiser than human wisdom. And the feeble things of God have proven to be far more powerful than any human ability. So Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God, and what we preach identifies that to a world that's wise in its own eyes and sees you and me as foolish. You're going to be seen as foolish. That's fine. I'll be a fool for Christ all day long. In fact, the more that you are persecuted and the more that people call you foolish and the more people tell you you're crazy, the, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord's resting on your head. Rejoice. If no one's persecuting you and you're never being challenged for your faith or ever being persecuted, something might be wrong. Now, you can be a nice Christian, but God doesn't call you to be nice Christians. He calls you to be kind. He calls us to be friendly. But the cross is offensive to those that are perishing. It's, it's either offensive or it's life-giving. It's one or the other. The bolder you get, the more confident you become, the more secure you become in this world, the more persecution will come your way. 
rejoice in the midst of it all. It makes the good news even greater in a world of bad news. All the wisdom of the wise is being dismantled and invalidated. Let me tell you this little short story, this parable that Jesus, it's actually not even a parable. Jesus just called something straight out concerning the times and seasons we live in. Matthew chapter 16, verse one. One day, some of the Pharisees and those of the Jewish sect known as the Sadducees approached Jesus insisting that he prove to them that he was the Messiah. Show us a supernatural sign from heaven, they demanded. Now, it wasn't just them. Earlier, his own disciples came and the people around, the multitudes came and said, show us a sign. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees are saying, look, prove yourself so that we can really, and he was proving himself nonstop, by the way. So Jesus answered and he said, you can read the signs of the weather for you say, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. You're so adept at forecasting the weather by looking at the sky, but you're absolutely clueless in reading the obvious signs of the times. A wicked and wayward generation always asks for signs, but the only sign I provide for you will be the sign of Jonah the prophet. Then he turned away and he left them. And I like what the New King James Version says. It says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. Let me paraphrase it for you this way. They could discern the face of the sky, but they could not discern the face of the Messiah, Jesus standing right in front of them. Jesus is standing right in front of you, folks. I mean, he's, I'm not Jesus. I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying. Don't, don't misread that. He's in me and he's speaking loudly through me, but the big, and he's speaking loudly through you. But Jesus is not absent. He's ever present. Think about it. In Israel, the morning clouds always in the east always represented a rainy day because of the rain patterns off the Mediterranean. If there were clouds in the evening, you knew it was going to be clear weather. Okay? So they could, I mean, shoot, I love my app, my Radar Pro. I'm like, I'm coming. Weather, weather, what's happening? I like looking at weather. I like the Weather Channel. I've been watching it forever. I even like the music on the Weather Channel. I'm like, <laughs> let's watch the Weather Channel for 30 minutes. I can really genuinely discern. We can discern the weather for the most part. His point was, you're asking for a sign. And by the way, there's lots of signs of the, of the age and the coming of the Messiah. That's that's years of messages. Nobody preaches it better than Mike Bickle, in my opinion. Okay? But I'm on a mission to prepare you, not get you so sidetracked on the signs, except to understand we can discern the times, but you can't discern the face of Jesus. That's his point. We should be able to see and know Christ is standing right in front of us. He's right in front of you. The darker it is, the harder it is, the more forsaken you feel. Those are things that he's working out. People come to me all the time and say, man, I wish I was on fire as I used to be. And have you ever say that? Man, when I first came to, I get these messages all the time. I just want to go back to how I was. I said, the last thing I want you to do is go back to how you were. Because think about it for a minute. It all comes back to root systems. If you were so on fire, but then you could walk away and forsake the Lord and run back to the ways of the world, there was still something inside of you that needed to come out. 
what you want to do is you want to not only return to your first love, but be better and never forsaken. There's a better fire than what you ever had before. That should bring you hope. You're never stuck, ever. Jesus was the sign. That's his point. He says, look, here's your sign right in front of you. He was already healing the sick. The lame were walking, signs and wonders, miracles and power, true love, true perfect love. And they couldn't see it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. My question is, do you know it perfectly? If I'm doing a good job, I'm going to have you know it perfectly. I share lots of stories with you. It's going to come like a thief in the night. I told you the story. Some of you are new, so you haven't heard. I tell the story all the time. After I gave my life to the Lord, I tried to go back to my old ways, and I'm in Coconut Grove, and I'm at the reggae club. And it was awesome. People were bumping and grinding, drinking Coronas and margaritas, and the music was just, it was just hitting everything. The natural was so great, but I didn't belong there. And it wasn't like I used to, it used to be. And so here I am in the reggae club and everything in the natural, I should have been having the best time, hypnotic music, alcohol flowing, all these things. I think I had a Corona or two. I'm sitting there in the bar and I'm born again. And it's wild. And suddenly I heard, and I had an open heaven vision and all the lights, like a bright illuminating white light began to shine through all the windows around the club. And I could hear the sound of a trumpet and everything froze and I went into third person and suddenly I was not there anymore and I knew that Jesus was coming back. Then I was put back in my body and I was instantly terrorized because I said, this is not where I wanna be when Jesus is coming back. Do you understand? You're either going to be hiding under tables when Jesus comes back, or you're going to have exceeding joy doing backflips down the street. What's it going to be? I want to be doing backflips down the street. How about you? You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You're going to have to know, is this an intruder breaking into my house or is this the return of the king? I can just see yourself running out your front door with your AR and your boxer shorts and it's Jesus coming back. I'm just going to, you're going to look like a real fool. Verse three, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they won't escape. They won't escape. So what are you so downcast about? The world's always chasing after peace and safety and saying healing. I mean, all this stuff, we're gonna heal. Nobody, there's no healing without Christ. It's only behavior modification and it's only temporary. But you're not of this world. Peace and safety, they'll say it, but sudden destruction comes on them. Why? The day of the Lord's coming and there's no peace and safety without the king. But you, everybody say, but me. But me. You're not in darkness. 
And if you are today in darkness, all of us have to battle it. Let's come into the light together. Together. I'll do whatever it takes. Wednesday night, I prophesied for three hours. If people were still here at 11 o'clock, I was speaking into their lives. Teenagers, young adults, the presence and power of God was so strong. I'm not here to go through the motions and play church, folks. Neither are you. Get a right perspective. See the mission or you'll want to quit the ministry. This isn't about ministry. We minister to a mission. We're in a time between times. There's a purpose at hand. And it's hard, and it's laborious, and it's work. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to look at you funny. Somebody's not going to call you. But if your hope's in Christ, you can withstand whatever somebody does and doesn't do to you. You're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. I get us all the time about alcohol and marijuana. It's about being sober-minded. You want me to give you rules and policies? And No. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? For some of you, you can never touch a drop of alcohol, and some of you, you could have a glass of wine. It's a sober-minded issue. You should have conviction by the Holy Spirit and know what's good for you or not good for you. And if you have an addictive personality and one drop turns into one bottle, you probably should not drink, ever. It's a sober-minded issue. Do you understand? Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not appointed for wrath. Let's settle that issue. Let's just settle it. Some of you have a terrorizing mindset of God. There's a healthy fear of God, but God should never be a terrorist to you. To the wicked, he is a terrorist. He's not really, but if they don't turn from their ways and repent, it's going to be a bad situation. And in the midst of being broken from lascivious lifestyles, they still see God as bad. But the truth is God is loving and all day long crying out and reaching out to save everyone. For God so loved the world. So if you're sitting here wishing wrath on your enemies and death to your enemies, you are misguided biblically. Jesus said, love your enemies and bless those who... So comfort each other. I'm sorry, I was... Obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we live together with him. God wants you to live together with him. If you're not living together with Jesus, we're gonna be misguided, beat up, beat down, broke, busted, disgusted, empty, depressed, downcast, drunk. We're just gonna check out. I have a lot more to say on this topic, which I will cover in the next service. But I'm gonna say this, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God who have not obtained mercy, 
who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know what it means to be a sojourner? A sojourner means I'm on my way, on a journey, and I'm only living here temporarily. You know what it means to be a stranger? It means that I'm a pilgrim. I'm on a pilgrimage. You are on a pilgrimage. You're on your way to a better place, a homeland, a promised land. You are in a time between times. But you're a royal priesthood, his holy people, a people who weren't, but now are. (coughs) We're to divorce ourselves from the evil desires that wage war within us and live honorable lives. So what time is it? It's 1 Peter 2.15 time. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Even if we are to even honor the rulers that are put over us. Now, let's talk about honoring the rulers that are put over us. I abide by the, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't break God's commands, but I pay my taxes and I abide by the law. The Bible says that even leaders and rulers are ultimately put in for the good and to deal with evil, wicked people. But it seems like it's flip-flop now, doesn't it? It seems like the good is being persecuted and the evil doers are being celebrated. Am I right? But God still doesn't give you an out. He still says, live honorably and upright because your good actually will put them to shame. They're, and they're not all evil, wicked. There's these incredible uh, officers. There's incredible law enforcement agents. There's incredible uh, people in Congress. There are people that really love Jesus, even in the political system. My job is to keep them loving Jesus. And if they don't, or our job is to get them born again so that the decisions and the rules or the laws that they implement are of the Lord. And the wicked ones that aren't, I'm still gonna love them and honor them, but that doesn't mean I'm accepting the decisions that they're making. It's just like me calling out the fact that gay marriage is legal. I think the death wish for our nation in so many ways was gay marriage, the legalization of gay marriage. But I also think that in that death wish is also a revival wish. It means that we have a great mission to do. And it means that even couples that come in here that I'm friends with on Facebook or wait tables or cut hair, whoever they are, when they walk in here married, it means that we give them so much love and honor and care for who they are and let God do the rest and transform them to be born again. Because without the Holy Spirit, everything's behavior modification. Do you understand? Without the Holy Spirit, everything is behavior modification. You can't religify them. You can't beat them over the head with a Bible. You're going to have to show them the power of God through love so that the Holy Spirit can speak into their hearts and deal with them. Because that's how you got saved. Isn't it? Did you get saved by the works of the flesh or the law? Or did you get saved by the Holy Spirit? So how I live positions me with God to affect great change. Because who's always watching? Who sees everything? God will promote you by how you love, honor, preach the gospel, stand firm, live uncompromising. And if you do compromise, pick yourself up dust your knees off, run to the cross, get the blood and ask for forgiveness. He'll forgive you in an instant, give you another chance, another chance, another chance, another chance. Because some of us in this room have had a million chances and we're like, man, surely God's gonna give up and he hasn't given up, has he? You should rejoice in the beauty and wonder of the good news of the gospel. 
The good news of the gospel is, is you are really jacked up, but God is really good. The faster you can get that, that my heart is deceitfully wicked, but Jesus is coming to change my heart every day. So I'm running to the cross on a daily basis. I'm running to forgiveness and mercy on a daily basis. I'm never giving. I'm sitting in the front row, second row, and I'm pressing, I'm taking notes, and I'm paying attention. I'm soaking and absorbing. I'm trying to get the heartbeat of God so we can be like the sons of Issachar that can discern the times and know what to do. And I just wrote this down. What time is it? It's a long time, and it's an end time. All things that are not of God are being shaken and dismantled. It's dark times, but it's the brightest of times to be alive. Be the light of the dark world. Live right, love right, be patient, and trust God. Read your Bible. Hear his voice. Get in community and live in unity. Know that God hates. Know what God hates and what God loves. Find it out. Renew your mind. Divorce the world. Embrace your family. Realize we live in a time between times. We see a king now, and all are going to see him then. The day of the Lord is at hand. Be ready, be sober, and be watchful. And use your gift to serve, train, equip, and grow mightily. You all have something to supply into a house. How many of you like to go out to a restaurant? Maybe not so much these days, but do you know how many things go in to make a restaurant great? What's the most important thing at a restaurant? The food. Let's just put it into perspective. Okay, I don't care how nice the people are. I don't care how much money they put into designing a nice atmosphere. If the food is bad, will you keep going to eat there? No. But in a restaurant where the food is great, you still need excellent customer service. You still need busboys. You still need waiters. You still need cooks. You still need people to clean. You still need atmosphere. You still need ambi- There's all. But the truth is, is if the food's really good, you will eat in a hole in the wall, won't you? There's a place out in Port Aransas that is an absolute hole in the wall. I mean a hole in the wall. And it's ranked number one on TripAdvisor. It's called Iris, and the food is out of this world. And it sells out every day by 2 o'clock. There's only about enough places for five people to sit in there. Half the time they're closed because they ran out of food or they don't really care because they're on island time. And they're number one. Right? You've got to see what makes a house and a home a home. Somebody has to take out the trash. Somebody has to clean the toilets. Somebody has to greet the people. Somebody has to work the sound, the PowerPoint, the lights, the music. There's people doing all kinds of things. Get into position. I don't need you to just be a servant so I can take from you. People are going to walk in this house that desperately need Jesus, and I will make sure I serve the best meal as best as I can every single time these doors are open. And somebody's going to walk in here and they're going to say, man, I never felt what I felt in here. I had somebody message me on Facebook. They said, I, I came to your church once, but I had to run out the back door because I couldn't. The worship was too intense in the atmosphere. You know what I said? I said, it was, what was in you that you wanted to hang on to hated you staying there. But if you come in here hungry and desperate and ready to die and lay your life down, it changes everything. That's why we keep coming back. God will handle the atmosphere. I don't have to be so anal about stains on the carpet and how comfortable everything is for you. I get it. The sound system's not fantastic and I don't have all the bells and whistles that so many other big churches have. So what? 
God knows what he wants to do. As long as I have people that are, have the right hearts that are in position, as long as my children's workers are teaching our kids the gospel and bringing life and wonder and joy to them, which they are, and which is also why we need to double the amount of children's workers at this church. And I don't hammer you and beat you up over serving here, but now is the time for us all to do our part. You are like a joint in a body that's supplying something. And for, let me make sure you all understand I'm not waiting for every single person to be perfect. We do want to inspect your lives and we want to measure you to make sure you're not toxic. But at the same time, I don't expect you to be perfect in every area of your life. We're all in process. What time is it? It's time. Let's say this, the time is now. That's right. We're in a time between times and there's urgency. Jesus is standing right in front of you. Close your eyes for a moment. This is a day of visions and prophecy and dreams, Joel 2, 28. In the last days, God said, I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh. They would prophesy and dream dreams, see visions. This is a day when instead of focusing on when Jesus is coming back, we're actually filled with the spirit so we could be witnesses. Say this together with me. Say, Lord, make me a witness. Fill me with your spirit, God. I can't do it without you. Have mercy on my life. If you're living in addiction, fear, depression, sin, if you feel forsaken, worried, abandoned, you're not. So let's ask the Lord for help. Lord, I ask for your help right now. I don't want to do this on my own strength. I don't want to do it without you. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to understand the times I live in and what to do. God, I just thank you so much for this church. I thank you, God, that everything's in your timing. So, Lord, we look to you instead of focusing on weather patterns, the natural things in the world around us, we get our eyes on you. Whether it's night or day, whether we're awake or asleep. God, I thank you that we live together with you. I speak health and comfort and strength to everybody here today. Health to your family, your children, your home. Signs, wonders, miracles, passion, insight, and ability to teach well, to train your children in the way that they should go. Lord, I ask that you'd show everyone here where they're to be a part, how they can be a part, help help me and help the leaders of this church to build the way you would want to build, Lord. And I thank you, God, that we're on a mission. And may everyone be a part of it, Lord. Pilgrims, sojourners in a strange land. A royal priesthood. It's who you are, a royal priesthood. So I bless you all mightily with resilient strength in your home life, in your work life, and when you walk out these doors today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. 
And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.